Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. This is a recorded show, uh, recorded over the week at different times. And um, it, uh, it should be interesting for you. you. You hear the different thoughts I have and the different things I'm experiencing during this um, third week of the war. This is the third week of the war with Hamas in Gaza that I'm talking about. Um, and I recorded this the week of October 24th. Today is Sunday, October 29th. And um, here we go. Hey, everybody. I'm doing a walk now at night. It's like 9.05, at night. It's dark. And um, it's a Tuesday night. And it's really weird because I see one of our playgrounds up on the hill um, all lit up and tons of kids are out there screaming and playing and it's night. I mean, it's late. This does not happen during the week normally, but because there's no school for the kids, it's like a vacation. Um, you know, it's uh, pretty calm here. Like I told you before, there aren't so many men. The men that are here are in uniform. So you see all these dads in army fatigues and guns. And um, they're guarding. And, uh, you know, the store has limited hours. Our clothing store is not open, only uh, by request, by special request. And um, it's pretty quiet um but uh, i was going to tell you something interesting that happened to me today we took our dog to the vet and it was um a morning appointment quarter to nine in the morning so to go to our vet which is outside of bersheva in omer we have to go through this checkpoint the maytar checkpoint and anyone who comes to visit me and then goes to bersheva knows this checkpoint because it is full of Arabs. Tons and tons of cars, Arab workers who are going into Beersheba are picked up there. Um, tons of security. And it's just very, very crowded. It's almost like a carnival because there's always some guy selling cotton candy or pitot or sometimes weird things like tuna, you know? Um, all uh, These are all Arabs and uh, they're men who live in Yehudah and Shomron. I'm not sh- I mean, I guess they're Palestinian Authority people. I, I'm pretty sure they are. You know, they have to have permission to enter Beersheba. And, you know, but I don't really know. I'm pretty sure that's the situation, okay? Anyway, usually there's a big block, a big backup, and a lot of traffic. And it's dangerous because just tons and tons of cars and a lot of men standing around. Well, today empty. It was awesome. It was great. (laughs) It was not dangerous. It was empty. And we went right through. And we went, um, we handled the dog, and then we went to Beersheba, and it was, you know, it it was kind of light traffic. We went to the mall. People were shopping, not as crowded as usual. Um, You know, Arab shoppers, women with their hijab, like the normal, they're always Arab women shoppers here and um it was pretty 
you know, pretty normal, kind of quiet, but everything was open. I, just about everything was open. It was early, but it was uh, my first time doing that. Um, that's not true. I did this last week, and there was actually a siren when I was there. I think I told you. I was in the gas station bathroom during a siren, so that was my first time. But this was okay, so this is my second time. No siren today, but I did notice that emptiness. And I, I'm sure I noticed it before, but maybe I just didn't... Uh, concentrate on it so much or maybe I didn't share it with you so much but I was talking to my mom on the phone today and I told her and um, my mom's calling me every day my siblings are checking in every day I've set up two whatsapp groups for one for my siblings one for my husband's siblings and I uh, let them know what's going on and that I've heard from the kids I have not heard from them though today yet it's nine o'clock at night so I don't know what is going on but, um, you know, if you know, we look at the news. Now, my news might be different than your news. The news I get is my Facebook feed and whatever my sources tell me there. Now, it's a little bit of an echo chamber, meaning the news I get are the things that interest me and the people that are on my side. I don't see, like, um, American news. I don't know what they're showing on NBC and the BBC and stuff like that. So, um, I just see horror and, you know, people crying and all the rescue teams and horrible sites from the kibbutzim that were ruined and burned and where the massacres happened. And, you know, lots of funeral notices and shiva and speeches and stuff like that and um i'll tell you it's not getting any better it's getting a lot harder it's uh not what i expected i'll tell you something that i that i did see that was um surprising to me but now i understand why the world has this like such misunderstandings of what it's like over here I saw a very good, um, informative, quick video of someone showing the map of Israel, showing Gaza, and showing how Gaza borders on Israel and Egypt. And the Egyptian border, it's called the uh, Rafa crossing, I think, is closed. It's a closed border. They do not let people from Gaza in, ever. Um, the Israeli border does let Gaza people into Israel to work or for medical care. And they just have to have a work visa. And also, um, Egypt doesn't do anything for the people of Gaza. But Israel supplies them with electricity and water and telephone services and internet services. So, the fact that ever since the October 7th massacre and attack, we have stopped providing them with those services, it shouldn't be like a surprise, and it shouldn't be, you know, um, difficult to understand. We're at war with them, so they get nothing. 
And we've had no Arab workers in Susia. No builders. Because those builders are from Gaza. And you see uh, construction on the road. From um, the Metar checkpoint to Beersheba. There's a huge construction project going on there. And it's not progressing. Because those workers are from Gaza. And... Yeah, they're not, uh, they're not working here now, and that's fine. Um, I don't think they should work here ever again. There are 22 Arab countries. Any of them are welcome to step in and help these Gazans. Take them. Have them work there. You know, the fact that they don't is not my problem. Someone else can figure that one out. Israel needs to take care of Israelis. Israel needs to take care of Jews. Nobody else is going to take care of us. Okay, I just listened to um, the recording, and I want to just clarify a few things. I keep saying um, Gazans, Gazans, and I don't mean all the people of Gaza. When I'm referring to the Arab workers who come into Beersheba or come into Mayushuv or meet at that Metar checkpoint to work in Israel, um, they're not from Gaza. I'm wrong. They're considered Palestinians. Okay, so who are Palestinians? Who are these Arab workers that need to be brought in and need a license to come in and someone to pick them up and taken back? These are all the people who live in Judea and Samaria in the Arab sections where we're not allowed to go. Okay, so that's called Area A, where those big red signs are, no Jews allowed. Those are areas controlled by the Palestinian Authority. So those people are, you know, not, you know, they're, they're not Israeli citizens, and they are actually considered enemies. And I'm not telling you they're all bad, and I'm not telling you they're all killers, but they have, you know, they, they are not loyal to us. They're loyal to their leaders, and their leaders want to kill us. So those Arabs who come and work here and work in Beersheba and have to be taken in and taken out uh, and are under guard when they're working in these places, um, are either Arabs that live under the Palestinian Authority in Judea and Samaria, near me, or Arabs that live in Gaza. And that's supposedly ruled by the Palestinian Authority, although we all now know that they are really ruled by Hamas. Now, it can be argued, and this is a reasonable argument, that Hamas controls the Palestinian Authority too. And as a matter of fact, that's probably the case. Um, it's going on now throughout Judea and Samaria that the, um, the Arabs are getting riled up and that we are under high alert and high security alert and we all have extra security now. And it's reasonable, okay? Because uh, as many of you know, always there are terror attacks here, okay? This is not new since, since October 7th. This goes on all the time. This takes up a lot of my time, um, writing up these terror reports. And it's um, something that, unfortunately, has become normal, okay? It's become acceptable to live this way, to live where people are throwing rocks at you, knifing you, ramming you with their car, blinding you with lasers, and shooting at you on the road. Doesn't that sound bizarre? that that's normal, that that's acceptable, it's accepted. Um, and that's how we live here. It's, it's 
crazy. And so um, now these things are just, I guess it's not like they're highlighted, but they're just going to get worse. So um, I, I, I wanted to bring that up. And I also want to point out that on um, the occasions when people are very quick to name, no, no, it's not all the Gazans that are bad. No, 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 it's not all the Arabs that are bad. Or just, you know, make sure we're only talking about Hamas. Let me tell you people, there are a bunch of different organizations and names, Hamas, Palestinian Authority, Hezbollah, Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and there are people who don't use those names, and we could just say Arabs or Palestinians, all right? Um, this is not the time to defend them. I'm not going to spend my time defending them or correcting myself because I'm past it, and we should all be past that. This hatred, this Arab hatred towards Jews is not new. It has been going on for a long, long time, thousands of years, okay? It's written in the Quran. You see a Jew behind a tree, kill him, okay? This is not new. There are records and there is history. Rabbi Kahana wrote books. I mean, this is not new. It's not just since 1967. It's way back, okay? It's thousands of years old. In the Arab countries, in Yemen, in Morocco, in Libya, where Jews lived, they weren't allowed to work on the sidewalk, okay? They weren't allowed to even testify in court. They were considered dimmies, all right? Infidels. So anyone who's not a, an, a Muslim is an infidel. And we're the worst, okay? Jews are the worst. So they had us as second-class citizens way, way back for many, many years, thousands of years. None of this is new, all right? No, nothing here is new. They've been taught to hate Jews. And so um, now it's just maybe coming up to the surface to the rest of the world to see it. But this isn't new. So giving them little, you know, excuses, they're not all bad, or, oh, it's only Hamas is bad, but that's not the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, really, they all support each other, they all help each other, and they all have the same goals. And those goals, and sorry, that goal, it's one goal, okay? It's to, to, it's to get rid of the Jews. I'm going to be playing for you now um, some excerpts of a recording I made um, in uh, response to an article I wrote. I wrote an article in the newsletter that I write. Now I've been writing it every week. It's about, I, I called it National Shiva. Um, I'm talking about and I'm writing about Shiva and um, I wrote about really just what a Shiva is and explain to the audience what's going on in Israel and what goes on in every Jewish death. And here are some comments about it. You'll, you'll understand when you hear me talking, I'm, I'm speaking to my sister and leaving her recording, and I thought it would be interesting for all of you. Here we go. Yeah, you know, it's awful. Um, I didn't want to just say about Shiva. I wanted to tell people that Okay, so Shiva is a big deal, you know, I wanted them to basically, like, it's a big deal, you know, and it's comforting and it really does help. Um, and you and it makes you feel like surrounded by friends and surrounded by love. It makes you feel so you're not alone. That's the point. So you're not alone. 
And, you know, and like when dad died here, uh, you know, people went out of their way to talk to me and say very nice things to me. There was expressions they used, all Hebrew, you know, like, and the, tra- the translations are just beautiful. I mean, they're just like, it's like poetry, you know. Even at the airport, the ticket people, when I told them why I was flying, the things they said to me were just amazing, you know. Shall you know, no more pain. Uh, God should comfort you in this time. You know, stuff like this. Like, strangers, you know, these young, beautiful women with fancy nails and makeup who don't care about me at all. When I told them I'm going home, my father just died. That just came right out of their mouth, those words. And their whole tone towards me changed. So you can imagine how people you really know behave. You know, it's just really, really nice. And I was actually going to write in the newsletter how sometimes the Shiva is like sad and you're quiet and you're very um, respectful and, you know, you just sit there and listen. And you're just there to be like a body to take up space in someone's home so they're not alone. My whole point in writing it was that to tell people that the whole country now is going through this and it's very hard to feel any comfort. There, there have been people who actually have had to fly in to go to their child's funeral, like lone soldiers. And then there's a shiva and there's no one to come. Nobody knows them. So there have been these calls out, uh, requests on Facebook and other places. You know, there's a shiva. We need people. Can someone, please, you know, we need 10 people. Please come and the address and the date. It's so sad. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. So that's one thing, how how some people don't even have the support here. It's awful. But another thing that I was going to say is there are so many of these going on that these people who are in mourning don't feel um, comforted because it's like they're done their funeral and they're the mourners, but everyone's a mourner. So they're not able to get the comfort because everyone is in mourning so there's nobody strong around maybe there's a better way of saying that but you know like also I, I didn't get into it as much as I should have it's like a lot to write the there's another thing that I think is really really nice and I don't know if you know this but when you go to a shiva here or any religious or you know observant um person there's like a committee you know like these women uh, or men who are like working in the kitchen and refilling the cake plate you know and uh, making sure the dishes are washed and that the and that the um, you know there's food and drink available and then the friends or it might be usually a family person doing that you know like a mother-in-law or, or a daughter but sometimes it's a neighbor you know you know we had somebody come in so like the nurse did it here she came in and like some other lady I remember washed our floor and did our dishes when this one's Jordan's father died and we had the shivy here and we didn't have a lot of friends really and we had a little house but they brought the Torah here you know and they made an announcement and people came into our house like every day for seven days with us and did a service here and um, I think it was twice a day and uh, you know you always have people in the house and you also have someone else someone else is doing that just like I did for mom remember she didn't have to do anything someone else does that for you and and the people that come are the ones who fill the house so you feel like loved you feel cared for so in this case with so many people um dead okay and so many funerals to arrange for uh the 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 mourner in this case in Israel today doesn't feel cared for because there aren't 
the support people just really aren't around because they are also mourners. That's what's so awful. I, uh, I, I want to read it to you now. So for those of you who, who aren't familiar with Shiva and um, this important aspect of Jewish mourning, I, I wrote it up. I wrote, Dear readers, the Simchat Torah War is now completing its third week. The news in Israel is an ongoing cycle of witness reports from the October 7th massacre, describing the horrors that happened to their families and friends descriptions of that day, and a plea for release of their kidnapped friends and family. It is like an extended shiva. These are the five stages of mourning. One, between death and burial. Two, shiva, the first three days following burial are devoted to weeping and lamentation. Three, third stage, is shiva also. These last four days, the mourner can now talk with people. For these seven days, the mourner stays home. So I explained to you, Shiva means, and, and it, it, Shiva is seven days. It's seven days of mourning, okay, between the burial and then seven days after the burial, and the mourner stays home. Um, the fourth stage, Shloshim, the 30 days, the mourner rejoins society. And the fifth stage is the 12 months of mourning, including those first 30 days. It's the entire year following the death of the person and the pursuit of entertainment is curtailed meaning you don't go to happy things you don't go to concerts you don't even go to weddings uh, i go on shiva is a seven-day mourning period in jewish practice it is extremely important most times shiva is a time that family and friends come together to comfort the mourners it can last all day but normally there is a set schedule the mourner's home is filled with people who surround him, sit with him, listen to him, and share stories. Who is a mourner? Jewish law formally considers the following to be the mourners. Father, mother, wife or husband, son, daughter, brother, sister. Normally, friends of the deceased attend Shiva, but also friends of the family come for support. People may not even know the deceased. But the fact of their being there to comfort the mourner is the point. It is all about comforting those that are left behind. Kaddish, this is the mourner's prayer, is said every morning and night. It is an ancient prayer said in Aramaic. It is said in the regular synagogue service. It is the hallmark of bereavement. It has spiritual power to lift the soul of the departed up to heaven. Our nation is now suffering through the mourning period together. But it has been already three weeks since the attack. Why are we still going through the Shiva? Many people are not yet found. It is taking time. Some bodies were badly burned and had to be identified through scientific processes. Others, thought to be dead, are possibly kidnapped. Not everybody has been located yet. It is not a simple task. These practical issues should not fall on the shoulders of the mourners, but all the people of Israel are mourners now. I wrote that, and then I wrote some other things, um, details about um, data about Judea and Samaria, which if you, I can also read that later, but my recorded messages earlier were um, about the, the Shiva, and um, there were some things I didn't get to 
like I spoke to her about how it's just not a normal time and so many funerals and so many shivas going on is so strange and um, it's heavy. You know, it's a very heavy feeling to be here now. And everybody is affected in some way. And um, on the flip side, there are so many volunteers. So many people have become volunteers. And so many things ha have happened. Um, it's just one small example. My third son is 18. He's in Mechina. Many of you know Mechina is the um, army prep. Okay, it's like an army preparatory course. It could last six months or one year. Some people go for two years. And um, it's like learning and physical training. And there are some mechinot that are religious and some are not. And um, so my son is in an all-boys one, a religious one, in the Jordan Valley. And he, he really just started, right? It started um, at the beginning of the Jewish year after the Chagim, or right before Rosh Hashanah. So the war started, and all men in the country are in the reserves, right? Most men are in the reserves if you're under the age of 47, I think, 48. So all his teachers that run this Mechina course are in the reserves. So there is no Mechina, and what have they done? The, the place where they're living, their school, has been taken, has been used for families that had to have that have had to evacuate their own towns, either in the Gaza border area or up north in the Lebanon border area. So he doesn't have that. But what they've done is they've relocated his group, I think they're 60 boys, 80 boys, something like that, to work on a farm in the Jordan Valley because so many farmers have also been drafted to the reserves and their vegetables are basically rotting. So there's been these calls out throughout the country for volunteers to help on these farms, to pick lettuce, to pick this, to pick that. There's also a place called Volunteers for Israel, VFI, I think is where you can find it, vfi.com. They have different volunteer opportunities for people, for adults. Um, I, I, I will find um, some more information for those listening. There are volunteer opportunities here and volunteers are needed. Um, there are places packing food. There are people making food. The restaurant across from us is doing f free breakfast for soldiers every day. Um, I'm going to be interviewing someone who um, owns the restaurant Crave, a very popular restaurant in Jerusalem. He'll be coming on the show. And it's funny, I've spoken to him three or four times. And every single time I talk to him about coming on the show or even recording an interview, he says, I can't tomorrow. I'm packing up food all day or I'm running up food to the soldiers all day. Um, there are so many things going on and everyone is involved in something and it's really, really beautiful to see. There are older women cooking for soldiers where my two boys are stationed. They've had home cooked food. They have socks. They have equipment. They have snacks. They have everything they need. There are rabbis who are going around to different bases and lifting the morale of the soldiers. Um, they, my boys have also gotten home cooked, um, home baked cookies with notes from children. They love that. And I've even told my own siblings in America to have their uh, Hebrew schools uh, write letters to my boys in Hebrew, and I'll distribute those letters. Um, 
I think I told you that one of my sons asked for books and the library here donated about 20 books, Harry Potter books. And I actually wrote to the author of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, and told her, I wrote to her agent and told her, and I got a letter back that um, that was very nice. It was a form letter, okay? It's not a real letter, but at least I got something. And it's, it's really um, been an outpouring of effort. You know, planefuls of Israelis came flying in um, from around the world, bringing them people back to serve. And it's very... Uh, very heartwarming stuff like that, but um, it's it's a very very hard time. There was something else I wanted to share with you. Um, I'll tell you. I had two visits this week. Uh, every day we we wait to hear from our two boys. Um, it doesn't happen every day. Sometimes we'll get a text. Sometimes we get nothing, and sometimes we get a phone call. And I see my son call me at one in the morning. They are not allowed to have their phones, either of them. So it was very surprising that we got notice on Wednesday that one of our boys was getting 24-hour leave and the other one was allowed visitation four hours um, from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon at um, a, a location that isn't too far from us. So I was like in a f- total panic, crazy, bake-a-thon, cook-a-thon uh, from Wednesday night until that was the visit finished on Friday afternoon. It was so like crazy. I, I had never experienced such like pressure, you know, to have um, one kid come home. Oh, sorry about the dog. To have one kid come home and have to have food for him and do laundry for him and be here for him, be available um, and, ha- and, and just be here and be ready and whatever he needed and be, you know, calm and have the place clean and you have to be you have to be like a real mom you know wow the dogs are going crazy and uh then the immediate next day i we had to go to the base so i had to pack up food for him for the other guy and bring stuff stuff you know like milk you know he doesn't get milk um and we ended up in the woods i say woods and i'm saying woods in quotation marks because it was horrible it's like all right, so it's the woods, but it, it's Israeli. And so it's a man-made forest. And these trees are like these straggly trees. The f- ground is covered with, uh, what we say, kotsim, thorns, okay? It's super hot. It's like 80 degrees, uh, you know, Fahrenheit. It's hot. There's no air moving. Okay, so that's just the basics. But there are 500 soldiers and all their parents. And... And it was just crazy. I mean, you had to, like, wait in a line. Your car is, like, traffic on what, this one-lane road. To, to, you had to drive off-road and find your kid. And then, like, find some shade and sit with him. Just horrible. Really horrible. Friends of the IDF, where are you? You know? Um, it was just, but, you know, it wasn't a base. So we, we weren't on a base. So uh, I guess that's excusable. And I guess it was kind of a last-minute type of thing. So I just explained some of the things we had to do, okay? But, I mean, you know, my daughter made homemade cookies, homemade cake. I made pizza. All this stuff takes time. It takes time. For, you know, I, I made pizza like 6 in the morning. The, and and the, I have the other kid at home. So all that, is, that's just physical. I can do physical. That's fine. But emotionally, it's a whole other, a whole other issue. And it's, the whole thing is so jarring when you think about it. And, and I don't think about it. And that's how I think a lot of us are getting through this. We're not thinking about it. 
Nobody wants to think that this might be the last time we see our kid. But that's the reality because this is war. This isn't playtime and it's not peaceful here. And people are dying every day. So it's that um, that's going on on our shoulders, I guess. I, you're just carrying that and you're trying not to acknowledge it and you're, you're putting it almost underneath your skin or underneath your feelings because it's painful. The visit was good. You know, we, we ate, we talked. He introduced us to one of his friends. You know, they, we saw his new uniform. Um, I'll tell all of you that his group got new uniforms, and the reason is the enemy has stolen IDF uniforms, and they've had to battle it out with terrorists, and they look just like them. They stole their uniforms. Um, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing. I don't know if that's been broadcast, and I just i am telling you because we were pretty horrified when we heard it. Um, so he says, now we know. Now we can tell who's one of us. Anyway, it was uh, four hours of sitting on pine needles visiting with our son. It was, it was nuts. It was crazy. And every Israeli family was doing the same thing. And the Israelis go nuts. You know, they bring a table. They're barbecuing. Some of them brought their dogs. Um, some of them brought tents, so there was shade. But that's Israeli, you know. They don't notice that it's hot, that there's no bathroom, that the trees don't even offer shade, that there's no place to sit. They don't care. They don't care. Israelis are able to squeeze the beauty and goodness out of everything. And that's why I love it here. And that's why I've always loved it here. There's an expression that they say here called tsechayim. Tsechayim, translated into English, is um, do life. And they used to say this when I was single, when I was like 21, 22, living in Tel Aviv. And this means like, have a good time. Live for the moment. Live it up. And that's something I loved and I had not experienced growing up where I came from in, in America. I didn't know I didn't know that kind of it's not ideology, it's it's a it's a way of living. Okay? Living it up, living for today. And that's how Israelis are. Because they are always facing some kind of war, some life threatening situation, some incredible challenge where they don't know if there'll be a tomorrow. So yeah, tsechayim, do life, live it up, live for today. And so they go into debt and they make mistakes and they maybe do stupid things and they do take risks and they travel and they eat too much and they smoke too much and they party too much and they love too much, but they live, they live. And they live life to the fullest. And wherever you go in the world, you're always going to find Israelis because they travel and they do. And I love that. They don't analyze. They don't overthink. 
they don't do too much research. And yes, mistakes are made when you don't check everything out in every corner. It's true. It's true. Maybe they do make decisions too quickly. Okay. Yes. But everything comes with a price. Everything. And if you can make a beautiful visit out of a hot day sitting on thorns under these straggly trees, they're going to do it. And they're going to make the most of that visit. And they do. And we did too. We did too. And um, it was great. And, and he was happy with it. And we were happy with it. And it really couldn't have gone better. And that's the best we could do. You know, they, they're not letting them home. We don't know if we'll get another visit like that again. We don't know when, we don't know when we're going to see him again. We don't know. Um, you know, the, the routine of the army is usually like you see your son every other week. Three weeks is a long time for them not to come home. So we're used to that. But we do know they're going to come home. We do know they're going to come home in two weeks. If not in two weeks, then in three. But we do know they're going to come home. Now it's not like that. We don't know. And it's um, something we, we don't talk about. I'm, selling, I'm telling all of you. I wouldn't dare tell him. I don't even talk about this with my husband. We weren't ready for this. Nobody was ready for this horrible war. And it's... Um, you know, we as parents, as parents here, without this experience in our own families, we're really unprepared. But we will, we will do the best we can. I'm going to end this segment now, and I want to thank all of you who have written to me um, at Natalie at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And for those of you have, who have written to me at natalie at and for those of you who have donated to help our medics during this time, I'll just quickly um, explain a little bit about what they've been up to. From their very beginning, our medics were on the Gaza border area helping with first aid, helping with rescue, and helping uh, locate people, the bodies, okay? And um, they have now moved on to uh, providing medical aid in the Gaza border communities and Stayrot because um, a lot of those communities and Stayrot, the city of Stayrot, have been evacuated. But, you know, this isn't known. But not everyone has left. Not everyone is able to leave. There are people who have nowhere to go. There are people who are handicapped. There are people who are too old. They're, not, they're just not, they're not able so the uh, rescuers are helping them with humanitarian aid, you know, food and medicine, visiting them. And some of these people have um, AIDS, you know, assistance, and those people have left. for They've been evacuated, they've left, or some of them have been injured or have been killed. Um, so our people have stepped in, and a lot of those tasks and thank goodness for them they know that area because we have shelters in those areas um, in stay road and in the kibbutzim and we even have a horse farm in one of those kibbutzim and we're familiar with the municipality services and all the people in that area so we know our way around we know who to talk to and how to get stuff done 
And that's one thing they're doing. Another thing they're doing is they are um, helping Yehud and Shomron communities with their first response equipment, the tactical equipment, and helping to build it up because it needs to be built up. Um, a lot of people sent equipment and their people to fight in the Gaza area, and they've left their communities without people because a lot of these men double as first responders for us, and they had to be go serve in the army. We also have equipment shortages. We're always in that situation. We always have equipment shortages, but now we, we really can't be without because they're expecting severe, I, I don't want to say this, but it's it's just a fact. We are expecting real violence here in Judea and Samaria, and we need to be prepared. You know, we have all these patrols as extra security for a reason, and uh, it's just really a matter of time, and we need to be ready. We need ready. They've trained here. I know um, my daughter is a medic. She's a teenager, but she did the course, and she is medic. She's part of the team here in Susia, and they are going to be using the library for um, triage and as a uh, hospital, if need be. And they've already set up a control center in the girls' ulpana, the girls' school. This is what's going on in every community. People are making use of this time to set up emergency services for their security teams, for their medical teams, because it's something is, you know, we have to be ready. These are the same Hamas angry Arabs, the same ones in Gaza are the same ones we have living among us here. And um, I think I said this earlier in the broadcast that living with constant terror attacks has become normal, has become accepted. And that's ridiculous, but that is the case. That has been, I mean, that's why we were founded. That's why Rescuers Without Borders came into existence because there was no medical response out here when these things happened. Now it's just, we're here, we're doing it. And if any of you want to help us with that, and we just need basic tactical metal equipment. A lot of people don't have a, he uh, a helmet and vest. Um, we need stretchers. I mean, all kinds of stuff we need. So if you want to get involved, please write to me, natalie at hatsala.org.il. I'm sorry about the dog. And thank you for listening. Please write in and um, continue your prayers. Your prayers are powerful. <laughs>